China. Yeah. Are you are you rewatching, or does she have new content? Uh, no new content, but I'm going back and picking the best ones. And uh, um, I got a. She makes a uh, risotto, like a butternut squash risotto that looks amazing. So I want to give it a try. And I do be loving risotto. It is mesmerizing to watch her uh, work in the in the kitchen. So I especially like risotto when it's fried into a ball. <laughs> with cheese at the center yes, yes. I, I would i would agree either form i'm i'm all about it all right but um i'm ready i got my special pen i have an evangelion pen it's not officially evangelion but i made it white and red to kind of kind of match that works for me so yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty serious here it's a serious thing this is this is the end this is the end. And for those of us, uh, those of you who are listening here, you are at the cusp of part five of five of Full Impact, a Neon Genesis Evangelion Exegesis coverage of Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 thrice upon a time. I am one of your co-hosts, Nick. And with me, the only person I'd want is my co-host, Allison. Oh, that's sweet. Right back at you. Yes, that's me. And this is, you know, I remember saying it when we did End of Evangelion, but let me say it again. This is it. This is the end. The line ends here. The literal end of Evangelion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have finally gotten there. I feel like it's been, as I was watching this last segment of the movie, um, it kind of, and again, you know, we had talked about in uh, last week's episode about, you know, kind of the flashbacks and all that stuff. And it kind of just dawned on me, like, how long we've been doing this and like watching this show and being involved in it and like from its very beginning stages and watched it progress and waited for this new movie to come out. Um, I, I don't know. It was like kind of a culmination of things that I was feeling, but it's, it's, it's both bitter and sweet to be at the end. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, it's been, Oh, it's been like two or three years. I mean, we took a decent little uh, hiatus in the middle, but yeah, it's been a process. It has. Feels like sure. a baby. <laughs> a journey. <laughs> but you know, with that, let's let's get cracking. Let's get it. We are starting um, just about two hours into the movie. We've got about half an hour left here. Um, we're starting where Misato has just uh, taken over command of Wunder by herself. Um, flip the ignition switch. She's gonna, you know, do what she can in this fight here. Um, you know, her her goal is to create a new spear for Shinji to use um, against Gendo in this this final fight. Um, so we get that starting off, and then also we have uh, Mari, you know, in Unit Eight plus nine plus 10 plus 11, uh, yeah. take, taking out the other warships. Um, you know, just like they're flies, honestly, just fucking. She's, she's kicking ass and taking names in this particular part of the movie. Absolutely. Um, she, yeah, it was like, uh, yeah. Evangelion square root of 45. I'm like, okay, enough with the numbers. Like we get it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, right as Mari, you know, she she recognizes that Vunja's on the move. She's got to go meet up 
with Misato here, but we get the shot of Unit 8 with um, looks like four halos, you know, each representing the uh, the other Avas that she had absorbed um, in front of the Ray Lilith with the wings coming out and this black hole looking um, horizon above it. And it's beautiful shot. Yes. Uh, and so, and, you know, Philip, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or if you think I'm wrong, but after this point, this whole, it's similarly to End of Evangelion, this whole interaction between Shinji and Gendo and I think for the most part, pretty much everybody else too, for the rest of the film, this is all taking place sort of in that, it, we're still in that minus space or in that black, I think they're in that like black hole thing. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, just something to keep in mind when you're, you know, people are, whenever something just like pops up out of nowhere or comes out of nowhere and you're like, that's weird, that doesn't make sense. It's because they're in the freaking fourth dimension and there's no rules. Yeah, I guess it kind of also is like a metaphor for like your lizard brain, you know, like you default to certain things. And so when you're in and I'm pretty sure that they describe it in this, but I'll say it again, um, where it's just like your your minds can't wrap around a certain concept so it goes back to its base level and so they're operating in that base level but in that like negative space like it, it took me a minute to kind of get that because there aren't you know especially in this you really have to wrap your mind around an entire like concept of humanity so <laughs> yeah your, your brain is going to naturally go back to what it knows so that you so it gives you some sort of recognizable context to put what's happening together yes and you know it's it should be, you know, Shinji's still in unit one, Gendo should still be in unit 13. And, you know, if we're going with that, you know, Shinji's still in a plug. And so there's LCL LCL around him. And that's what the LCL is doing. It's just, as you said, it's, it's creating an environment that we can perceive because if it didn't, we wouldn't be able to really perceive our surroundings at all. Right. Um, so let's get right into here, Shinji and Gendo talking about know going back and forth here and i wish i had this little description that gendo gives here when we watch the tv series because he goes in pretty good detail about you know human instrumentality and exactly what it does yeah um and i I know i'm never going to be against another explanation because that's one concept that it's easy to lose grasp of every once in a while yeah, I also think, too, that this is the first time, like, we've seen Gendo's real backstory. And as he's talking about this and as he's explaining it, like, you can hear the emotion in his voice, something that we hadn't heard in any of this series up until now. Like, maybe the few times he, like, yelled at Shinji or whatever, but he's always been very, like, on task, on point, And it just seemed like he was really tapping into his emotional side, which we have yet to see. Like, we've seen everybody else's backstory, like how everybody's trauma has affected them, but we've never really, and we knew about Yui with with Gendo, but we never really got to the root of it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what this whole thing is starting. It's almost like we're finally getting to know why he's such a creep. (laughs) Yeah. And, And also like what this is all doing. And yeah, I mean, he does say, 
like humanity sharing one heart, one mind, like everything is, is his main goal is like solitude. And that's kind of been the whole thing this whole time. Yeah. I mean, we saw very little background in the TV series. You know, we knew that Gendo was intelligent. He had, he had motivations. We knew that he was awkward and antisocial, you know, even, you know, Fiutsuki didn't like him. And, but then we know that, you know, he met Yui and then things changed, but this is, you know, exactly right. We don't get, this is the first time where Gendo is actually more uh, personified rather than less. Yes. Um, and, you know, we, we get him yelling Yui's name and we, we never get like any really fluctuation in his voice yeah. other than when like Ray was in trouble early on. You know, that's about it. Right. Yeah. I definitely picked up on that for sure. And, you know, obviously I don't, I don't feel any, I don't, I sure I have sympathy for Gendo, sure, but it's nice to have an understanding of where he comes from, even though it doesn't justify anything he's done. Agreed. It's totally true. And I, and I think that's, kind of the larger lesson here too is that you know everybody has something that you know broke them and whether or not they use that for good or evil is really all in the choices that you make and um i think i, I do also have to call back the fact that i'm loving these like um sketch flashes in there you know where it's just like raw sketches mm-hmm. um it kind of callbacks the the beginning parts of things that like it just it gives you you know, that, um, again, that really artfully done flashback where, um, you know, this is when he felt most vulnerable it, things were simple to him. Um, so I think that it was, it was a very cool way to represent that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to go back to, it's, it's funny. We get these abstract shots, like you're mentioning here are the, you know, the, not the 3d animated shots where these would have been an indication of a low budget in, in the previous series, but now they're intentionally done t- as, you know, our artistic direction instead. Mm-hmm. Repurposing, but brilliantly done. Yes. And, you know, we get that Gendo and Shinji are, aren't that different. Yep. The uh, old father and son trope. Nope. And, you know, we, we learned that Gendo was just as much of a loner and attached to self-isolation and, you know, using music to escape as, as Shinji did. And it's funny, it reminds me of all those tropes of a parent doing something to their child in an effort to, to make them not turn out like them. And then in doing so, they do the exact opposite <laughs> and create a, basically like a clone of themselves. Yes. That's it's that's a hundred percent what's what's happening here. And I, I think it boils down to basic human nature. You know, you can only give what you got. And it, it, we we find out, you know, Gendo from a very early age was isolated and he found that he liked that and that that was his safe spot and safe place. And this way he didn't have to get hurt and the music would drown out the rest of the world. And, you know, I kind of think even though it was in the Walkman back then, it could be said today of, you know, our phones and our devices and things that distract us from 
or keep us in our own solitude because you have access to, to the world, but you don't really have to live in it. And even though this is, you know, I think that's that the same holds true for, you know, modern time and, and current issues. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, you, you, <laughs> you want to be the best that you can, but ultimately that, that your child is going to inherit some of who you are, be that nurture or nature. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, it's weird, not weird, but it's interesting to look at Shinji as someone who was self isolated, kind of not, Gendo very much seemed to, and he wanted to be alone. He enjoyed being alone. Yes. He was, he was scared of, you know, bonding with people. He just wanted to be by himself and, and learn stuff. And whereas Shinji was alone, you know, partly because of his own football, also just because of the situation that he was thrust into, you know, he, he didn't grow up with a good support system. Um, but I mean, on on one hand, but on the other, like I thought about it, and there's one um, part that he mentioned um, where <laughs> he said, uh, "I didn't like sleeping over at other people's houses. I didn't like going to family gatherings or going to church or being a part of things." And you know, I think all of us at some point in our lives have felt that way in certain situations. He just felt like that all the time, you know, and some people do, and that's just kind of who he is. And although he's, you know, manipulated things to what he thinks is the best scenario, he's doing it because of a painful, you know, a a conflict between being alone or living a life. And then Yui just throws a monkey wrench in the whole shit. Yeah, it's because it makes me think of that one um, like philosophy scenario where I, th- I think you have like there's something akin to you have a man in a cave who is facing away from the opening to the cave and there's a wall behind him and he's like stuck in there. He's chained in there or something like that. And all that's like with him is like a fire or something like that. And this the dude he his whole life revolves around what he can observe and so his you know what's around him the the cave walls the floor the fire that's his whole life and so how much happiness he experiences is based on what he can do with that and it's not until he's able to turn around or break free of that chain and, and see the open to the cave until he can realize that there's the potential for happiness is so much greater than he could ever have even known. And, and, and it feels like that's, you know, what Yui did for Gendo. Absolutely. She, um, she was the first person that he actually wanted to be around and he had never known that feeling, but the minute he made the choice to be with her, he opens himself up to a world of hurt and, that he didn't really even realize and you know children that he didn't necessarily know what to do with <laughs> um she obviously seems like the more nurturing of the two parents and you know there's a, a sequence where he talks about you know having to leave him and thinking that was the best thing to do and i also kind of paralleled that with how misato was like in their own way these uh, these you know um 
authority figures, role models, parents, whatever they are, like they think that they're doing um, these people a favor by not bringing their mess into their lives. But it really ends up being a detriment because not only do they miss out on your influence, but you also are missing out on their growth. So it's, I think that those in that way, Gendo and Miss Em are similar, which I never thought those words would come out of my mouth, but it's kind of true in this case, I think. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, you can, you can play the argument that it may be more so with Misato than Gendo that, you know, having a closer relationship with um, Ryoji would open him up to possible harm just by approximation to Misato and her line of work. But it, it makes me think of when you're like in a relationship or something and someone's done something wrong and they, they hide it for a long time. And then when it finally comes out, they're like, you know, I didn't want to hurt you. So that's why I didn't tell you when, you know, that's, you know, that's like Gendo's excuse here. Like, you know, I didn't want to turn out like me, so I'm abandoning him. But the truth is, is that you're by lying for so long, you were just protecting yourself from the pain of having to, you know, admit that you did something wrong because that process is what's painful and difficult. And likewise with Gendo, it was the easy thing to throw away Shinji rather than actually getting, you know, into the gritty with it and learning how to connect and nurture the son of his beloved wife. Right. And he's also repeating patterns, right? Repeating cycles. And he was abandoned, therefore, you know, for whatever his reasoning is, he abandoned. So that cycle of that continues. And it's it's um, kind of refreshing to see that Shinji is maybe not going to go down that same path. And that's all you can really hope for excuse me, as, as, you know, any adult or someone who's a parent or a mentor or whatever, that that person becomes better because of what you've taught them or what they've learned from you. So, you know, I think um, all, for all of Gendo's faults, he's really just repeating patterns. Yeah, he is. And it's, I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, Gendo's a shit. We all know that. I think, I don't think we need to talk about that much more, but I, you know, after seeing the story, like I do feel for him. I feel his loss, you know, with Yui and to think about how much it must have meant to him and all the like, fuck everyone else. I'm doing anything I can to get her back sort of mentality, you know? You know, it's it's hard not to relate to that at least a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, you can also on the flip of that know sometimes you just want to be alone. You don't want to interact with people. You want to turn your brain off for a while and kind of decompress, especially if you have like a very forward-facing career or you know you're, you're talking constantly. There's sometimes you just need to shut things down and be alone and be okay with that. And I think. So even though it's, you know, Gendo takes it to the extreme, we can relate to that feeling at some point in our lives, maybe, you know, more often than not. But um, I just think that that's, that's something we can also relate to. And so, yeah, so we don't have to beat a dead horse. He's not the greatest guy, but at least now we know where this, how this shaped him and why he turned out the way he did. Yes. And I love the shots. I love seeing the different images of Shinji, you know, young Shinji, older Shinji, yeah. and the shot of 
Shinji in the plug suit facing young Gendo, you know, with his glasses on. And it just, it makes it so easy to see how people who have very similar paths, you know, uh, you know, isolationist paths being alone, how through the decisions they make can go in very different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is all happening while, you know, they're in the, you know, the scene changes a little bit, but it's mostly on the, the train cart, you know, keeping with, you know, another uh, classic theme of Evangelion here. Um, and then shortly after that, you know, they have like a, a rumble and, you know, Gendo's like, what's that? And like, oh yeah, there's still like a lot happening outside of this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, there's also some other peeps here in the negative space. (laughs) Yeah, so we go out and, you know, we see um, Misato getting shit done. She's cranking the Wunder spine thing and, you know, blasting those thrusters through the hands of Ray Lilith, who the the hands are detached from the the rest of the body, which is, you know, just a different uh, little artistic direction, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, and also, she, I don't know if you were aware that through this whole thing, when she first came on screen, um, they were playing "Joy to the World" in the background. I'm pretty sure. No, I um, didn't. I didn't pick up on that. You can. Kudos. You can, you can fact check me. Um, anybody out there that disagrees or if I am incorrect about this, please let me know. But I definitely started and stopped it like three or four times. <laughs> I'm like, what is that song? And it was like an earworm in my mind. And I'm like, that's what it is. But also, I think that it's kind of fitting for that song to be what she's coming out to because like, she's she's about to handle some shit, you know, so joy to the world. Yeah. And it's, I don't want to say it's not overshadowed, but there's so much going on that... I mean, I mean, I think it hit me a lot the first time, um, but like, this is the final standoff for our beloved Misato. Yeah, she's literally going down with the ship. Yeah, and she did what she set out to do. And you know, Mari talks about the spear that she's created. You know how it's a combination of both hope and and despair and it's this really cool like it has a uh you know like a spirit in the center and then two separate ones that kind of wrap around it in this very cool little little shape it's it's dope yeah except for when it goes through the eye man that (laughs) that was a little much for me to take but for shock value it definitely was a 10 out of 10 for me anyway yeah and you know the the having the transition from the physical world where Misato and Mari are into this minus space where Gendo and Shinji are is, is very cool how it's, um, you know, it, it was previously kind of like in the, not, like we were kind of in the earth, you know, because they were going to the basement of Antarctica and, you know, going down into the portal, whereas now the space is kind of contained within Ray Lilith instead. Mm-hmm. So it's just, just cool. Agree. I like it. I dig it. And then, you know, we get this little acknowledgement from Misato, you know, about how this is what she can, like, this is 
she's just doing what she think is what she can do for them now this is the best thing that she, she can do yeah and, and i think in a way she's kind of like you know uh, saving her boys you know by sacrificing herself and almost kind of validating the idea that you know she she was going to leave eventually so maybe not being there all together wasn't so bad um because she was cut short but she did it in a way that saved the people she loved the most and i mean ain't nothing wrong with that for an ending for sure yeah no she she got it done and you know it's yeah i think the theme for this section of the movie this episode is it's bittersweet you know we get the kind of uh, full like acknowledgement of misato being like you know i am the guardian mother of these two kids and this is my part in helping them you know achieve a a better world yeah and having faith in who they are as people that if she were to leave it to them that she trusts that they're going to do the right thing with it which i think is also an important point like not only is she taking the responsibility to do this but she's also trusting the responsibility to these two people or the you know the people that she loves to carry on you know in a better way so i think that's that's another pretty important thing but yeah i i pour one out for miss m yeah definitely you go out to a bar tonight shots shots on misato (laughs) cheers to that uh and then we go back to shinji gendo here and a familiar spot again but we get you know more of an extended scene where it's where gendo is dropping shinji off as a child at the train station and this has been you know we in the early on series we got you know shinji was always going like you like um abandoned me and then or and then gendo was like you ran away um and then you know if we're looking at this this is there, I mean, it's mostly Gendo leaving him, yes, but we get more to it. You know, he's not just dropping him off like a piece of garbage. You know, he he embraces him and seems remorseful. And while his decision is, you know, very arguably wrong, he thought that by staying away from him, Shinji wouldn't grow up to be like Gendo, and that would be his redemption. Yep. <laughs> you said it perfectly. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you can't win them all. (laughs) And this is where we get a great scene here. We get, you know, Gendo has, at the spot where he's talking to Shinji in the subway, he's seems hopeless. Like he's reached the end of the line for him where you know, Yui's supposed to be within his grasp at this point, but she still isn't. And it's not until Gendo realizes and admits to not only his own personal faults and mistakes, but especially that with um, Shinji specifically, that opens up Yui to actually being, you know, available to him. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, one of the things, one of the points that Shinji makes the glasses is that you know you have to embrace your weakness you can't fight against your weakness all the time it is what it is and sometimes acknowledging that and accepting it is the best way to cope with it instead of 
putting it out of your mind or spending your entire being and energy trying to change it and change the outcome, you kind of have to just accept the situation for what it is. And I think it is fitting that this happens at the train station because it's almost like that's that's the point when he let Shin, when he put Shinji on that train, he made a choice in his life and everything from that is the way it is. And it, what if it had been different? What if, so I think that was such a pivotal point in Glass's life outside of losing Yui that, you know, that's kind of where he goes back to because that was where it could have all been different, but it wasn't. And now that's it. Yeah. The train ride is over. <laughs> Last stop. Yes. And Gendo gets with Yui. And from this point on, we, we kind of get a, Similar to the train station, we're going to do, you know, kind of stop by stop, you know, kind of tying up every loose end with every character. Um, but, you know, before before we get to that, we should I think we got some some words for our listeners here. Well, yes, of course we do. Um, we always like to hear your feedback. We always like to find out what's going on uh, with our listeners. So as always, please feel free to email us, uh, drop us a line at full impact podcast at gmail.com. Um, also too, you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack here and there's also a lot of other, you know, issues that we might want to cover or you guys might want to hear. Um, so there's always a possibility we may come out with a couple extra little bonus nuggets for you guys, but we certainly would love to hear your feedback um, on any of that. And again, you know, uh, where to find us. So any content you'd like to hear us talk about, you'd like to talk about, uh, p- please feel free. Full impact podcast at gmail.com. Yes. And please leave us a review and preferably a good one. If you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're looking like only five stars, but you know, I'll take a four if you have a good reason for why I don't get the extra five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm okay with that, but no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, with Gendo off, we're going to start doing our thing with everybody. And we're starting off with Kaora. And it took me, my, my reasoning, I was trying to think of like, and I know this might be a mistake to be like, let's find a practical reason why this is happening in Evangelion. But <laughs> nonetheless, that was my, uh, what I was trying to do. And I believe at this point, I would I would think that since Kaora died in Unit 13, then maybe his spirit or whatever um, would be held within Unit 13. And, uh, you know, Gendo absorbed Asuka into Unit 13 as well. Rei has been in Unit 1. Shinji's there. Um, not sure about Kaji. I mean, he did his own thing, so maybe that was how he got involved but if you're going with that line of thinking then it kind of makes sense why all these spirits are kind of lingering yeah uh it's kind of like if if we're gonna kind of stay on theme here and compare it to catholicism this is almost like the purgatory um like the holding place for all of the unanswered unresolved things in your life and once you see a conclusion to all of those things all of the storylines if you will uh that's when you're able to finally go to the happy place so i kind of think of this whole sequence this whole train thing all of 
these storylines being kind of wrapped up for is kind of a way of doing that. Yeah. And so with that, let's get started with them. First up, we're going to we tackle Asuka and the wrongdoings that Gendo had upon Asuka. And she, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we have Asuka backgrounds from prior content, but this definitely goes way more in depth than we had. And it's m- much appreciated, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we get that, you know, Asuka from an early age, she was alone, you know, because of her, the situation with her parents, you know, her, her mother dying and, um, then her father, you know, remarrying, but then with, uh, someone who didn't want really anything to do with Asuka. Um, and so she really adopted the Evangelion program as her purpose for life. Yeah, yeah, she she kind of channeled her loneliness into something useful in her mind, you know, the the and also too I think her need for accolades, her need for praise, her need for someone to like she says pat her on the head and tell her it's going to be okay. Like that that's just also a basic need in people that that Oscar didn't get. And you know, some people retreat or they go bad like Gendo but with uh, Asuka, she was like almost like an overachiever. She put all of that depression and anxiety into being the best at everything, you know, wanting that validation from everyone around her. So yeah, and now we're, we're, we're seeing that evolution. We're seeing, um, you know, how she got to that point and how I loved how there was like that simulation montage thing. It was so cool. Like it kind of reminded me of like dance moves almost like the way they were like, because it's just kind of abstractly, um, you know, fight scenes. There's no real weapons or anything. I think she's, it's just a simulation, but you know, watching it without any context, if you were just to look at it, it kind of looks like a dance, which, you know, I'm all yeah. for. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. It almost feels like a callback to uh, when Shinji was training for the first time about, you know, uh, what, what was his phrase? Um, like aim, pull the trigger, repeat, essentially, you know? Yes. Um, And it also made me think of the dance episode, you know, early on. Oh. One one of the best episodes. Gosh, yeah, what a great callback. Absolutely. Probably one of my favorite episodes in the history of episodes. Um, And, you know, we, exactly as you're saying, you know, Asuka, she hardens herself to be the, you know, this overachiever in an effort to for sure that she doesn't need anybody but you know it's all folly because she she needs someone she needs praise she needs affection she needs someone to to care for her she can't just you know just be this tough girl and be the best and you know let everything that is her being ride on that one thing yeah and and her she is kind of a, a paradox because you know, on one hand, she can't tolerate other people. And on other, on the other hand, she needs them. So she's at constant odds with herself and she's in a constant struggle. And she has just channeled that into honing her craft. And I think that a lot of people who, you know, have had traumas in their life and things that they don't, it doesn't always look from the outside that they're, you know, struggling because they're successful or they're really, you know, they do well in school or whatever, but 
that doesn't mean that there isn't something driving that that might not be the healthiest. And I think that's the case with Oscar and has always been. And it had to have been hard for her to be constantly, and we see it, that she's constantly struggling between those two needs that she has. And, and you know, as, as bitchy as she could be sometimes, you do really kind of have to feel for her. Yeah, absolutely. And there's these, like, in succession, these two or three shots that really, like, the first shot pops up, gut punch. Second one, another gut punch. Third one, <laughs> third gut punch. And it's Asuka in these scenes where she's, Asuka doesn't make herself vulnerable very often, especially because her personality is so abrasive sometimes. And, and like you said, it is like a paradox where she kind of needs someone that is able to take her loud, abrasive personality and be like, I know that's bullshit. Like, push that aside. I know that you crave the same things that everyone else craves. You know, it's, it's a facade. <laughs> and, you know, no one really took the time to not only see through that, but actually put in the effort to get over that hurdle. And, you know, that's partially on Asuka too, but she was also, you know, like that as a child. And it's, yeah, it'd be a, quite the expectation to have for a child to get out of that sort of slump all on their own. Yeah. Um, also too, there's a, a part where, um, who's the, I can't think of his name or the nickname I gave him, the guy that's always filming things, uh kensuke kensuke yes doesn't he come out and appear to asuka um like out of her doll because i i assume that this whole asuka sequence and all of these things are happening in this parallel outside of your brain kind of universe so this is like kind of her wrapping up her own story but i think that the fact that she sees him because we i think we had mentioned this previously in one of our previous episodes about this particular movie you know wondering if there was anything going on between them but i think that he made asuka he kind of gave her what she was looking for you know he he envied her because she was a pilot he knew how good she was so he acknowledged that that um you know competitive part of her but also acknowledged that she was a person and that she needed rest and whatever and he was there to give her that space and I think that's why he comes to her because in all of these situations it's whoever comforted you the most again your brain kind of making sense of the nonsensical Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think just prior to Kensuke showing up here, um, you know, I, I, I just mentioned about these three gut punch shots, but I didn't actually name them. Um, <laughs> and the, the first one was uh, Asuka at the um, water treatment plant from the second movie. Um, and I remember that scene because everyone, the whole friend group, they're all hanging out. And Shinji and Ray kind of had this one-on-one moment and Asuka's like on her own. And I, you can just tell from her look that like she wants that she wants that connection and obviously she's not really going to get it from Shinji because of how their their poor compatibility but you know she wanted that from Shinji and similarly when um like Shinji leaves you know we saw that shot of Asuka with the door open at Misato's place and it being you know no one in there and I it just made me think of you know despite all the shit that she gives Shinji she was sad when he left Mm mm-hmm and then, and then, then the third shot was this, where it's Gendo and Yui taking baby Shinji out of the car, and all the nerve people around them are, you know, letting them out. And you know, it's you can tell that they're important, and you know, Shinji has this little family, and Asuka's there as a kid, and 
she's just there. Right. And we don't know that that was the case. Is this the first time we're seeing that? Yeah. 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 So that, that also puts a big fat bow on why she's always been so critical and harsh with Shinji is because a lot of that is jealousy and resentment from what looked to me like a look to her like a loving family that maybe she really wanted and yeah that's definitely a piece of the puzzle that we did not have before yeah and then that's when when Kensuke shows up and you know him showing up we and this is another great scene that is both you know great to behold but it it if you're looking for explanations, it gets confusing. And we get, you know, the shot that's parallel to end of Evangeline with Shin or Asuka laying down on the white sand beach next to Shinji, you know, like post impact world where it's just the red shores and, and, you know, destruction everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where, you know, except, except in this scene, instead of Shinji, you know, them, just kind of crying and you know what did he say <laughs> what does he what does she say to him like disgusting or something like that <laughs> <laughs> something Oscar, instead yeah. of instead of that you know we get this pretty pivotal moment where Shinji not only acknowledges that he had feelings for her too but that he knew that she had feelings for him and he, he thanks or you know thanks her for that and, you know, it's, it seems like a tri- small, trivial thing, but it really doesn't. It really isn't. I don't think that for her. Yeah. Yeah. She does. And she does say something about like, you know, no crying or Shinji said something about no crying. And I just got thinking, no crying in Evangelion. No more crying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, wasn't there something about um, the book of life? and how somebody's name went in the book of life they were like book of life buds i don't know i can't remember what exactly it was i i believe it was was it kaura that had put shindy's name in the book of life oh yeah that's it casanova that's right okay yep sorry getting ahead of myself no problem that happens right after because after that moment on the beach you know oscar's that was that was was it (laughs) yeah that's it oscar's oscar's done she she, you know, quote unquote, died doing what she was best at. She found Kensuke. She found someone to give her that sense of belonging. And she finally got closure between her and Shinji. And that's kind of, you know, bing, bang, boom. That's what she needed. Wrap it up with a bow. We can move on to the next person now. You know, and just as a, a side note and kind of full disclosure, I'm, I'm not typically a person who enjoys a nice wrapped up ending. But I have to say, in this particular series, because of all of the <clears throat> like unknowns and you know waiting and build up, so I feel like it's almost kind of doing us a favor as the fandom to um, kind of resolve things for us. You know, I, I think it's it does a good job of doing that without without being like you know cheesy about it. I think it's very well done. It's the way that you know, we, we kind of have, it, it's the payoff for all the work that we've put into this whole storyline. So I just, I want to yeah, mention that. I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's, it's very tricky of them in the sense that, you know, 
I feel like this show can be very appealing for people who find themselves alone a lot or are, are sad or, you know, depressed. You know, it's easy to relate to these characters because they're, they have so much shit going on and the world is so dim. And so you would get invested in it. And, you know, we're, as you're watching the show, you're like, ooh, you know, this is the last Evangelion movie. And before you know it, they're wrapping everything up and kind of uplifting you to be like, it's okay. Like, it's going to be okay. And you are too, sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that it, not, it doesn't always have to be despair as an ending. It doesn't always have to be you know, there there can be positive to the negative and there is light to the dark. And I think that's one of the main things that we're getting, especially now that, you know, we went through all of this and there was really a purpose and the purpose is good. Yeah. So we're done with Oscar here. Now we move on to Kaura. And as you mentioned, you know, Kaura talks about how he and Shinji are similar and that's why he likes Shinji so much. And you know, I think when we're talking about like the book of life sort of thing, it, this might be, you know, speculation here. They never really outright see it. And it's a very um, like fan theorized thing that Evangelion as a whole is a largely cyclical story where you can, and it, you know, that's where we get the theories about like, you know, is this, the rebuild movies, are they a sequel to end of Evangelion, you know, like, what's the timeline here? And I think what I've landed on personally is that this story of the angels appearing, humanity fighting them, and then things kind of ending terribly, and then basically restarting again. And it feels to me almost like that's why when you talk about Shinji being in the book of life, that like, it's almost like Shinji is destined to do this thing and you're going to kind of keep repeating it until everyone makes the right decisions. And it won't be until that moment that things will finally be okay and not doomed to repeat. Right. And hopefully we'll pick up a little faster on it than Shinji did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe only have like one movie. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I think it is is a good representation of cycles and cyclical behavior too you know i mean we talked about it in this episode that you know repeating patterns and all of those things but that we have to really think about them reflect on them and then see how we're going to either keep it if it's a good thing or change it if it's not and i think that's also one of the themes here too is is that there is that hope yeah and you know something that you know I feel like majority of people like Kaura, but I, I know there are some that don't. And it, it's nice getting more background about him and what it must, I mean, he is an angel, but, you know, it's nice having background on how, what his emotions are and what it must feel like knowing that you are, you know, killed and revived for a singular purpose. Yeah, it's like that movie Groundhog Day. Like it's well, in, in a way, I mean, you're 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 constantly being brought back to life, and like it's that that constant vicious cycle of, and then seeing the choices that are made around you, and still, yeah. So he he had to he had kind of a difficult go of it too. So it's it like again, not to keep beating a dead horse here, but it's really nice to get 
you know, these storylines kind of explained to us so that, you know, all of a sudden these light bulbs just keep, bing, 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 you know, like everything starts to make sense, which I, I really appreciate. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a nice little tidbit to know that, you know, I, I, after watching, you know, even after the first episode, first and only episode that Kyle was in in the TV series, I never thought that he had ill intentions, um, but it's so interesting to take his story from the perspective of that, you know, sure, he, he was trying to genuinely befriend and make Shinji happy, but that he was trying to find his own happiness by making Shinji happy. And that that's, you know, that's just not how it works. That's not how you get happiness. You can't live through another person like that. Yeah, there's a fancy word for that. It's called codependence. <laughs> and yeah, that's a whole other issue. But yeah, no, it's and it's kind of sad that your happiness depends on someone else's happiness. Um, that's he's constantly at a disadvantage and also constantly really not in control of his own being or awareness because his his primary goal is to you know make someone else feel happy and it's it's at this part I was wrong that, that we talk about the crying too because I <laughs> I see here there's like no Kaoru no cry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that and he also seemed to really put Shinji at ease from the very beginning and it was kind of nice to see him not all wrapped up and tweaked out and stressed out like uh Nova brought out the best in him I think and I now we know that was kind of his goal yeah and you know with with there's a couple things I want to ask you about your opinion first lot why do you think they added this bit what do you think it's purpose of of Kaji calling Kaura commander Nagisa as opposed um, to just Kaura. Um, because, and I think he even says this, because does it, his name means short intermediary. And that's what, Nis, um, say his name again? Kaura? Yeah, his last name? Nagisa. Nagisa, that's it. Um, so he's like the, <clears throat> if we're going to stick to the same an analogy of like purgatory, this is where we are. Like, he's almost like your tour guide through it. Like, he's the one that is on one side of, you know, has seen things, but knows you. And so he's there to kind of guide you through. And so that's, I think that was the purpose of saying that. And P.S., uh, how you doing, Ponytail? I mean, I'm glad to see that you're back. It kind of made me a little excited. So I just want to throw that in there, too. Yeah, it's great to see him. Okay, and then next, next question here. Uh, Kaji offers to Kaura, you know, he says something like, how would you like to till the earth with Misato and I after you retire? Um, do you think that this is a implication or indication rather that when this world gets reset, like we know it's going to, you know, from the end of the film here, that even though we don't see it, there's a part of the world where Misato and Kaji are alive again and Kaora too and hopefully living a good life yeah yeah I think that's exactly that's exactly it like kind of like and not to get too like you know timeliney and all of that stuff but you know there could be an infinite amount of 
you know, lives that we're living or scenarios that can happen. So, and also too, it gives us a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that they get reunited in some other reality. And again, I think it's, it's, you know, service to those fans who, you know, we, we saw the heartbreaking reason why she couldn't go with him. And now we are hopeful that they are reunited together and happy and growing watermelons and shit. So, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely think that that was, that was intentional for sure. Yes. And going back to your, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Allegory of Kaora being a guide through this purgatory um, sort of thing. It, it made me think of uh, like the divine comedy in Virgil and yeah. how his role was. So that's, you know, just another another little Christian connection we can throw in there. <laughs> another little- uh, Or Catholic connection rather. Catholic spin on it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so, and that wraps up the bow on Kaji and Kaora and there's only one left. There is only one left. And that is, and we had, uh, you know, one of our, our favorite listeners, message us again, um, Robert from Chicago land, um, who came up with a suggestion for a nickname for long haired Ray. And I think that you will much enjoy it. Um, and it is <clears throat> Ray Punzel. <laughs> oh, Robert, bravo. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I agree. It's quite Ray perfect. Punzel. Yes, yes. I could, I could not have thought of anything better. That is fantastic. Yes. Um. So we're moving on to Ray, and you know, also, sorry, I just noticed this real quick. Um, as we're the shots are changing from the little TV studio that this interaction is taking place in, there's a couple of setups with some like weird-looking camera things. They look like they look half like computers with computer mutters and have like guns almost but they have playstation controllers yes! wrapped up in the middle yes thank you nick i absolutely wrote that down i'm like are those playstation controllers I'm like i know i've seen those before but i was like nah you know but yes i'm glad that you noticed that as well and, <laughs> Ray Punzel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great so we're get this uh back and forth between Rapunzel and Shinji here mm -hmm. and you know it dialogue aside for the moment there's like a projector screen on them and it's just it's like a bunch of scenes like bing bang 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 from the tv series just all these pivotal moments you know and at the at the very end it has like the congratulations um shot with everyone happy at you know together at the end here mm -hmm. um and you know we get this very nice talk between them about how you know Ray's goal was to make it so that Shinji would never have to pilot an Ava again you know because that was his wish and he's kind of letting her know that like I'm gonna make a world or let me clarify here since um and tell me if you think I'm wrong since Gendo got Yui got to be with Yui he doesn't give a shit about anything else now he has found what he wanted Mm -hmm. And so now it is Shinji and solely Shinji's decision to decide what happens to the fate of the world because they're still operating under that Golgotha object that gives Shinji the, basically the power of a god. Mm -hmm. And so Shinji is telling Rapunzel here that 
you know, not only, you know, like, thank you, but not only do you not have to do that anymore, but I'm going to make a world without Ava's and I'm going to choose to live in that world. And just like Asuka and, you know, other Ray finding purpose in life in the real world, like, I wish that for you too. And you can do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's just, it's just great. It's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It, it absolutely is. And it is um, also, especially because Ray is such a complex thing to put your mind around like the the lack of emotion but the depth of thinking and just all this stuff and but her her ultimate thing is you know if I can do this if everyone else can do this so can you and I think that's that's the main point of this neon genesis this new world where Ava's and all of this this stuff that has held them back is is no longer no longer a thing (laughs) yeah and for you know anyone who may not have listened to the episode where we've talked about this or you've ever just wondered about it and you know they're pretty upfront with it this time neon genesis evangelion means new age gospel so (laughs) and surprise and that's what we hear. This is the we're on the cusp of the new age that Shinji is enrolling for unveiling rather for everyone. And with Ray also wrapped up here, you know, now it's just Shinji. And Mari had told Shinji before that, like, as he went into this, like, you no matter what, like, I'll come for you, just wait for me. And that's what that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And we don't really get a good sense of how long the waiting is. And I don't really know if we could because, you know, minus space, who knows how time operates there. Yeah. But, you know, with Ray gone, you know, Shinji, he takes that spear, you know, y- utilizes it. He gets these cool purple eyes. And in that moment, he brings about this entirely new world that he has envisioned for everybody that's yeah. pretty cool that's pretty amazing yeah. yeah and you know we get the spear going through unit one and unit 13 and then it goes through you know every single iteration you know you know getting rid of like you said all the avas a world without avas and but you know not before a nice little special special guest appearance <laughs> Uh, from a one uh yui here yep and you know honestly like as i was watching it again i almost like forgot that shinji and yui didn't get their reconnection their reunion like or their closure like everybody else did thus far um so you know just one more thing, you know, they really didn't let anything slip slip past them in, no. in ending this one. No, no, I agree. Well done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Yui's, and I, I'm not positive about the, de- the details of this, but it seems like Yui's, at least this is how I'm going to interpret it, that Yui's last act as the soul um, of Unit 1 is to take on the burden of executing his wish but not at his expense so that he can also take part in this world that he's envisioning for everybody yep 
And you know, what what another fucking bomb sacrifice from a mother figure right here. I mean, I got to say, and one thing that I, I will say about this whole series is I think that the role played by the female characters and the lessons learned by them are pretty dope. And, you know, even though you have, you know, the, the male protagonist, if you will, um, the female cast around him really has shaped what this show is. And I, I really appreciate that, whether it's, you know, right on the surface. I mean, and again, there's there's also the fan service stuff with like, you know, the revealing clothes and all that stuff. And I get that. But the good thing about this series is never, ever been pushed down our throats, you know, and it's always been very respectful of the women in authority and put women in authority and in a lot of situations, most situations. Um, and I really I think that's awesome. I think it's, it's a great way to be represented. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we get that that nice little shot, that little heartwarming shot, despite him being a shithead of Gendo and Yui finally back together and happy. Yep. And, and then the, from, you know, from that point, all evidence of Evangelion just, you know, crumbles, disappears. And we get this showering of these souls, these people being brought back from, I would assume they would have been held in the doors uh within the doors of guff you know being released back into to repopulate this new world yeah and not just them they're doggies and kitties too because yep. there's if you pay attention you can see that there are people holding animals and you know so it's like this showering of human humanity back onto earth and and you know that it then we go into the shot of the trees and the water so now we're back into it again and now again that cycle of rebirth and you know with water comes life and that's where we're headed i'm pretty sure yeah and yeah and i i may or may not have purposely not brought up the kitty cat um just because i want to keep my my eyes dry um for the moment here but absolutely you know it's they they're tugging at every heartstring that they can and and i'm sure for you know people who really aren't cat people that might not hit as hard i don't i there might be a dog back there if you look hard enough there's a lot of people but for anyone who is a cat person um i'm sure it uh you know might have triggered your allergies a little bit well, it definitely warmed my heart, and I'm sure that the dog people found the people in the people rain that were holding the dogs because that's just kind of how it goes. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that it seemed like just you know things returning back to the way that they should be. Yeah, and you know we we end with not end, but you know we get we're back at the beach this time with Shinji, kind of you know by himself, but not despairing not lonesome not sad he's just kind of contently waiting at the shores of a blue sea okay i'm gonna have to stop you here because there's one thing that we overlooked that cannot go without mention and that is the little pen pens that we see under the rainbow i mean for me that was wrapping up his little you know just 
amazing pop-ups in this this series and just to know that there's a, a little gang of pen pens running around out there that also warms my heart and I did not want that to go overlooked because I know he's been one of our faves um he's not you know obviously not a huge role but dominated every every scene he was in so I want he's to certainly sure. the unofficial mascot of the podcast oh, 100% 100% <laughs> so with his crazy little <laughs> hair and his cute little backpack I love that dude and I, I could not go through the end of this without giving him a shout out so very fair very fair I'm sorry I tried to deprive you and our listeners of that. I'm glad my eyes stayed dry on that one too, because that was a little rough for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, as Shinji waits, you know, and it's, I don't think we even need to talk about the significance of a blue ocean in this world. Yes, yes. What a monumental accomplishment because i mean the the red sea has been such a prominent symbol of the the angels and the the downfall of this world and everything that's gone wrong and you know just like that it's it's reversed and the world's back to how it should be right and i liked how there was like this and, and i wish i knew another word called besides montage i don't want to keep using that but similarly that you know it's back to basics back to the sketches back to you know the beginning little color everything is just starting anew again um so yeah i i thought that was pretty awesome as well yeah i love the sketching with the the black and white with mari popping out of the sea to greet shinji and and come for him just like she promised she would and I think it's super cool the transition between her popping up in the Ava in this black and white sketch world, Shinji running towards in this world, and her popping out and them seamlessly transitioning into a the world that Shinji just made. Yeah. And shedding all those Avas that were in her. Yeah, like, you know, spinning them all out so that they were literally all gone. And then she, <laughs> by the way, I just have to mention this, but like when she's, when she comes out of the Ava and she's like floating down, I was like, how is she floating down with her boobs being that big? Like I would have thought <laughs> they would have popped her right back up to the surface. But, <laughs> um, and then she does that like mermaid thing with her hair out of the water which i was like okay that's a little much but you know we we gotta we gotta give the fans what they want i guess yep mari mari it's it's you know i can't deny that every woman in here is a looker there's not a bad looking person honestly (laughs) that is true other than gendo (laughs) yeah arguably yes although in his younger days he wasn't terrible no, 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 he was not. Not at all. Um, and then we find ourselves at a train station. Which, P.S., um, the alert tone that alerts you to messages that are coming over is awesome. Like, I wish that every train station had that as their alert instead of, like, bells and all that stuff, like, whatever the noises are. It was a very, like, nice sing-songy tone. I thought that was a good way to enter into this new reality. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just to set the scene, you know, we have, uh, you know, at least older, if not adult Shinji sitting on a bench waiting for a train. And across the way, we see Asuka sitting, you know, 
she's next to someone, but I don't really know if they're anyone of significance, but, you know, it just shows Asuka living her life as a normal person. And we see Rei and Kaora together living their lives as normal people. And, you know, it make, beg, makes us wonder, you know, like, what about our boy Shinji? <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should ask. And, you know, that's, you know, and paralleling what she did prior, you know, Mari pops up, you know, guess who? <laughs> guess is right this time to a T. Yep. And, you know, just the way that, you know, Mari hasn't changed much, but the way that Shinji responds and interacts with her is he only says like a couple sentences, but you can tell how much more emotionally and mentally mature he is now. Yeah, instead of getting all uptight, he's a little bit flirty back, which is definitely not like him. Or no. hasn't been like him. And, you know, they you know, take that stupid little collar off. And yeah. and I don't know if this is me being overly sentimental. I don't know if you got the same feeling, but this end scene with Mari as- grabbing for his hand and saying, come on, like, let's go. And them running up the stairs, like, it, especially the first time I watched it, like, I did, I was crying. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was definitely pretty emotional. I mean, and also, too, like, just the evolution of Shinji and him in his suit and tie looking all dapper and stuff. Um, and, you know, when they come up onto the real world, it was really powerful that first time you watch it. Like, it's, it's, because it's very, it's, it's very different from what we've seen so far. And kudos on the footage. If it's a drone, I don't know what it was, but it was awesome. Uh, it was it, one of the best ending of a movie I've seen, you know, in, in a while, hands down. I'm gonna yeah. Go on a limb. I mean, and I, I will also mention that the song going out is a banger. Loved it. <laughs> yeah, they had some pretty choice uh, music music selection in, in these films. And I agree, the, the transition between the animated fictional Evangelion world into this, you know, it's still, you know, we still have Shinji and Mari popping up, but it's, you know, like you said, real world footage. Like, I never thought I could look at the real world as it is today especially in a populated area like that and be like wow that's fucking gorgeous yes 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 but it fucking is (laughs) (laughs) it sure is it sure is and it's such a cool way to end it it's just i i applaud everyone involved in the making of this and writing of this ending because it's it's really it's really beautiful and hopeful and you know considering all of the rough patches we've seen through all of these characters and all this whole plot line like it, it's it's ultimately does make you feel a little bit more hopeful which you didn't know if you were going to get throughout this but you definitely it definitely paid off in the end yeah absolutely and wow wow yeah that's yeah. it that's it. That's the end. And then the credits, which PS lasted a very long time, like 10 minutes, which I mean, I guess that's maybe what standard, but um, I was like waiting for it. <laughs> the first time I watched it, I'm like, maybe there's bonus scenes. Maybe there's something <laughs> else. Like I had to watch it all the way through and I'm like, dang it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that is curtains. Yeah. And the rebuilds. Wow. End yeah. of the line here. And if I'm not mistaken, I think, you know, I, you know, feel free to, you know, chime in if there's anything else you, you want to get up, but I, I believe you have 
a little little statement here, and I don't know what direction you you might go in, but I I will put out there that if there's anyone listening that you know was was strictly here for Evangelion content, and you, you don't you don't want to listen to your your beloved co-host, um, uh, maybe getting sentimental. Blather uh, on. <laughs> I, I invite you to to end your listening now, but if you if you care to stick around, you know I think we'd appreciate hearing our two cents. Yeah, absolutely. I I hope you do stick around because I just want to start by. Um, saying an immense thank you to everyone who listened, everyone who liked, reviewed, emailed us, um, subscribed to us, um, all of those who love and support us, because that's really important, as we've learned from uh, this series. Um, I hope that I truly, from the bottom of my heart, hope that you enjoyed this uh, podcast and this series as much as we have enjoyed making it. Um, And lastly, I'm not going to get too like crazy, um, (laughs) uh, but I have to give, I have to give a special, special thanks to the person who always has something new for me to try. The person who got this whole project off the ground, uh, started from the beginning and persevered until the end. Uh, The person who thought enough about me and my opinions and my uh, nicknames <laughs> uh, to include me in this amazing experience. Uh, he is the spawn to my monster, the co-host of this podcast, the irreplaceable Nick. Thank you, thank you. I, it, I I struggle with expressing feelings and gratitude such as this, but I have definitely some some teary eyes right now. So <laughs> thank you, and you know. Likewise, you know, hit, you know, my turn for the my soap the soapbox here. Um, I'm assuming most of you are unaware of this since you you listen to us and you don't watch us here. Um, I have a um, a half sleeve tattoo on my left arm of Unit Zero wielding the spear of Longinus because um, that was one of my the most pivotal and impactful moments in this series that really got me hooked. And on my right arm, I plan to get another half sleeve um, for Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings and Evangelion are my two favorite things, like ever. And for a long time, I associated Lord of the Rings with hope and Evangelion kind of with with despair. Um, kind of, you know, thinking that the two would keep me balanced here. Um, but really now, especially, you know, after doing this podcast and, and watching this last film, uh, you know, I from the realize that they're they're both very hopeful. They're both hopeful and bittersweet, and that Evangelion is not a story about how life sucks and it never gets better. It's a story about how anyone can shape their future if they choose to, and that if you are seeking joy and compassion and belonging, that you really only need to go look for it because it's everywhere. And I you know, just like you, I want to think you, Allison, for, you know, being willing to take a dive into something new, um, something that was very important to me and something to be shared because, you know, it's been an, an absolute honor and a pleasure to create this living record um, together. And it's, you know, especially of one of my all-time favorite worlds here. Um, so thank you. And, you know, but like anything good, you know, nothing lasts forever. That's the, the bitter part of this sweet story. Um, so with that in mind, I'd like to say goodbye to all of Evangelion. Until next time. Until next time.